There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Into the final hour of the show. Keep your thoughts coming into us on 4001. Myself, Chris McCarty, standing in for Tom Ucker. He is off on a well earned summer vacation. I'm alongside Matthew Fortune and Carl Van Roosevelt. We're talking all the big stories in sport, keeping you across all the live action as well. And let us start right there for this third and final hour. Tour de France, it is stage 20, the penultimate stage today. We are underway, Matthew. We are underway, yes, Chris. Good. An hour after I initially said that we were, having <laughs> pitched myself as a super fan, I didn't even know what time the race <laughs> was starting. <laughs> as we are, so as we mentioned earlier, the stage is actually 71 kilometres shorter than anticipated. That due to the inclement weather they're experiencing for south of France. Looking at the TV, though, it does actually look like quite a nice day for a cycle ride. Um, as I say, we're about half an hour into the race, 43 kilometres to go. There is a breakaway group, no one of any kind of... Um, I was going to say of credibility then, that's massively dismissive of... Anyone of note. Thank you very much, rather than dismissing these incredible athletes. Uh, anyone of note that's going to threaten the, the GC star classifications. Team Ineos holding the front of the peloton. I think it's going to be somewhat of a procession today. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on the Tour de France. Updates throughout. I say updates. Nothing much changes. It's just a bunch of blokes in Lycra pedalling. But anything that does happen... We will keep an eye on it as Matthew shakes his head. I was being a bit facetious there. I do apologise, Matthew. Let's give you a quick update. Qualifying F1, German Grand Prix, it is round 11 today. Yes, final qualifying is on its way, Chris. And what I can tell you is it's the Alfa Romeos that were out first. Kimi Räikkönen is leading it currently. But, of course, the big boys will come to the party. It will be 15 cars that will go to the next run, of course. Then it goes to the top 10. And then, of course, the final qualifying will be over. But it has started. And what I can tell you is it's Alfa, Alfa Romeo of Kimi Räikkönen that has set the pace. But as I said, the big boys are yet to come out. Yeah, no golf yet in the WGC uh, Bridgestone Invitational over at St. Jude's. And I can tell you, Matthew Fitzpatrick, the Englishman, the man from Sheffield, the man who has been on this very show, he leads the way nine under par. He's two shots clear of a man that we were told a couple of weeks by, uh, ago by uh, Justin Parsons, uh, former director of instruction at the Ernie Els course here in Dubai, that he, Patrick Cantley that is, is the best player in the world right now. Patrick Cantley is at seven under par alongside a very exciting Aussie by the name of Cameron Smith. My man, John Ram, he's also at seven under par. Billy Horschel, seven under. They're one shot clear of Shugo Imihira from Japan. Alex Norin, the Swede, is at five under alongside Webb Simpson. Ian Poulter, also five under. Justin Rose, five under. Brooks Kepka is at five under par, as well as Brooks, a 68 and a 67. As for Rory McIlroy, looking to lick the wounds from failing to make the cut at Royal Port Rush in that 148 Open Championship. I can tell you he's put two good rounds together. He's at four under par, 69 and a 67, so he is five shots off, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean, Chris, you know that I'm actually the biggest Rory McIlroy fan out there, and to me, he's still got to change his caddy. I'm, I'm not convinced. I know how Not you as well. So I, I'm, Robbie Greenfield's the same. You know, in all honesty, if, if Rory had an experienced caddy, he would have never shot eight in the first hole when he, when he opened up. A caddy would have told him to calm down, take the eye out, put it down the fairway, get into play. To me, uh, what's the kid's name? Harry, Harry, Di Diamond. Harry Diamond. Just not experienced enough. I don't feel he's a coach enough. I think he's really too inexperienced, too young for the job. And, and I think it's costing Rory, to be perfectly honest with you. If I was him, I'd be on the lookout for a, for a more experienced uh, caddy because I think it will help him. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on Rory uh, over the course of the next couple of days to see if he can bounce back from the disappointment of failing to make that cut over at Royal Port Rush. Now then, football, I want to get back to football and there's good reason for that because Gareth Bale 
I woke up this morning, as I always do, straight to the newspapers, having a look at what's making the headlines, and it would suggest, and the reports suggest, that Gareth Bale's on his way to China. It would indeed, Chris, and that's not, I mean, that's not the big surprise. The biggest surprise is that he's going to be earning £1 million Mental. a week. We were saying off air, I wouldn't know how to spend it. I remember once when I was a teenager, my mum said to me if she won the lottery, she'd never even give me a million quid. She wouldn't trust me to, <laughs> to survive any longer than a couple of weeks with it. But what would you do with a million pounds? A million a week. A week. I just, the, the thing with this, the, this move, I, it, kind of, it kind of makes me sad, really, because I don't think Gareth Bale has done a great deal wrong. I think he's delivered more than enough for Real Madrid since he joined six years ago for what was then a world record fee. Has he been a success? I mean, 14 trophies decisive goals yep. in numerous finals and uh, two Champions League finals no less including lest we forget might I say the best goal ever scored in a European Cup but, uh, yeah. may, maybe that's why Zidane has got the hump with him because he took his crown of the best uh, Zidane's goal against Bayer Leverkusen before ba uh, Bale's bicycle kick was probably known as the uh, the greatest goal I think he has massively massively delivered for that thing his biggest crime arguably is just not being quite as good as Cristiano Ronaldo I think he was signed at a time when people thought that Ronaldo's star was not necessarily waning, but that he, was, he wasn't going to adapt his, his game quite as much as he did Ronaldo, of course. Ronaldo, that, the early Ronaldo that we saw, direct, close control, ball at feet, terrifying defenders, became a player that didn't really run very much and was just so, so intelligent. And because he was able to extend his, his own shelf life at Real Madrid, Gareth Bale didn't have a chance to step out of the shadow that he was initially signed to do. And I think that is what has probably weighed him down. I know we hear about he hasn't necessarily got involved in the, the culture of the club, the culture of Spain, but I don't think that is a huge, huge problem. You, you know about people, as long as they're delivering in the workplace, of course, injuries have prevented him from doing so consistently. But ultimately, in Gareth Bale, when he looks back in 20, 30 years' time, was I a success? Absolutely. Gareth Bale, China. Is that a consequence of other clubs not being able to afford him? Well, just to put it in perspective, I don't blame him for going there. He'll be earning £62,400,000 a year. He'll be earning £1.2 per week and you'll be earning £119 per minute. Why would you not go to China, Chris McCarty? But coming, to, coming back to that, I, I, I think that Gareth Bale, has he delivered for Real Madrid? I've, I've, I've felt he has. I think the one thing that, that has really plagued him has been injuries. He's been injured at crucial times for Madrid, and I often think this kind of effect, uh, affected him being that dominant figure that a lot of people were looking for him from. But I don't, I don't think anybody can afford him in, in the Premier League. I think he would love to come back to the Premier League. But to me, the wages that he's demanding, the transfer costs, I don't quite think that there's a Premier League Premier League club, what's he now, 30 years old, that are willing to, that's willing to spend that on a 30-year-old. And I think for a big payday, I can't blame him for going to China. Is it not, sir? Uh, absolutely. And, and to, to point that out, an awful lot of people out there, that is huge, that is life-changing. Now, I appreciate one or two might say, well, hold on a second, Gareth Bale has already made life-changing money. You have to ask yourself the same question. If you are offered a job that is paying you double, no matter where it is, it is something that many of you out there, if you were being very honest, would probably say, yep, I would do it as well. Problem that Gareth's got, and I just find it so sad, and I don't want to be too disrespectful to the Chinese Super League. It is upcoming. It is a growing league. They're throwing an awful lot of money at it. But is it not sad that Gareth Bale, 
from what, uh, and you're absolutely spot on. Two Champions League finals, he's had a say. The first one at Atletico Madrid where he scored an extra time. He then scored that overhead kick against Liverpool. Remember the goal he scored, Copa del Rey final against oh. Barcelona, the, the Mestalla. The, the, the nudge and run. The nudge and yeah, run. incredible. Where he, <laughs> he, he just turned on the afterburners. So he has scored goals crucial times. I just find it so sad that at the age of 30, Gareth Bale has been not railroaded because I guess at the end of the day it's him and his agent but he's in no man's land mm. because of the contract he is on and because football's moved on and perhaps because of the injury problems that he has suffered in recent years he at the age of 30 has nowhere to go other than China yeah it's a shame but I think sometimes we invest as outsiders looking in at professional sport I think we invest a little bit too much in the concept that everybody doing it loves it and wants yeah, to do it all the time and i think they're not really anything wrong gareth bell's going to look back at his career he's probably the greatest ever welshman of all time he's the he, the, the entire country pins their hopes on him ryan giggs <laughs> so he's got one of those he's won european cups he's played for one of the biggest clubs probably the biggest club in the world what else is there to achieve if he's not really into football and he'd rather play his golf I don't think you can really blame a guy for point. doing that because we of course from the outside we look at it and think oh try and stretch your career as long as possible but really it's only four or five years what's to say that Gareth Bale is not really 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 good at golf and is actually going to go and spend as much time playing golf in China who do have some incredible causes <laughs> yeah. I hasten to add and get really really good at that and end up playing on the pro-am and saving a whole new career I don't think there's actually anything wrong with that I think the the sadness comes from the fact that I feel like he's being really really forced out and marginalized on what is essentially a personality clash is that what it comes down to I've seen an awful lot of people speculate that Zizou is jealous of Gareth Bale that there's been an awful lot of memes doing the rounds of comparing the stats and that Gareth Bale uh, Zinedine Zidane's nose is out of joint because of Gareth do you think it just fundamentally comes down to just that a personality clash I think so it's the only thing that makes sense because ultimately uh, Gareth Bale was awarded what two years ago maybe 18 months ago with a six-year contract yeah. so there's obviously Real Madrid were willing to invest in him absolutely and I think Zidane has come in or come back in should we say let's not forget Zidane did get good days out of Gareth Bale he's even proved in pre-season of course he scored against Arsenal he scored again the other day um, he is getting he does deliver when asked of him and when he's physically capable of doing so so it's the only thing that makes sense it's not like he's a big personality within the dressing room and Zidane needs to stamp any authority because this is Zinedine Zidane he shouldn't have any kind of fear at not being the most respected man in that dressing room regardless of what he was achieved he is Zinedine Zidane so it must be a personality clash it can't be anything else yeah if you are just joining us as well a reminder Real Madrid beaten overnight by their arch rivals Atletico Madrid now I know it's a pre-season friendly but wait for this for a scoreline it finished Atletico Madrid 7 Real Madrid 3 now Real were 5-0 down at half time is there more to this story than meets the eye. Is Real Madrid, despite, and I can't quite believe I'm saying this, and I, I appreciate it's only pre-season, spent 350 million plus, new players taking time to settle in a new country, new environment, new football club, new style, etc. But is, is the wheels potentially at Real Madrid, with this Gareth Bale's, uh, Gareth Bale's saga episode, call it what you will, is Zizou losing a little bit of his aura at that football club? No, I think it's too early to tell. At the end of the day, he's he's won the Champions League. What's it three times yep. with it with him? And so I think I think you you you're jumping a little bit ahead of yourself there, Chris McCarty. But I feel just to come back to the Gareth Bale saga, I think maybe it's not the fact that he wants to get rid of Gareth Bale, but if he had to choose between Bale and Pogba, he chooses Pogba. Yes, and you can't have them both. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why he's decided to move Bale off to China. Let's be honest, I think Bale, when he signed that contract with Real Madrid, he was always going to know that he would never get that offer from another European club, if you can put it as such. So he would have to go elsewhere. And I think um, if you ask Zizo at this moment in time, he'd say, look, at this moment in time, I think Pogba is going to be a better person, better player for the team than what Bale is. So I choose Pogba, Bale has to go, and, uh, and we kind of get on with things. But I think it's, it's a little, little bit early in the season, Chris, uh, to jump on the bandwagon and say that Zizo is going to be a failure. He's a great coach. Um, I think he needs a couple of his combinations to start clicking. And uh, I think Real Madrid, once again, will be competitive this year. Yeah, yeah we told you right. a little earlier about Nicolas Pepe as well, the uh, Lille forward, the wide man, Ivorian international. If you are just joining us as well, Arsenal have agreed a club record, mm. €80 million. Euros. That in current conversion rate is about £72 million pounds for the 24-year-old. Following hot on the heels of an arrival of another young Spanish midfielder, to that football club. Denis Suarez did not work out last <laughs> season. You'll be hoping for better things from Dani Ceballos. In from Real Madrid, had a really good under-21 European Championship with Spain, wore number 10 jersey, was a really good player. Again though, no clause to make the deal permanent, no such option at the end of his loan, and I was crunching the numbers, 15 million pounds it's cost your football club for this loan. Yeah, this is, I mean, listen, it's exactly what Arsenal needed. They needed somebody with that craft, that ingenuity, that skill set in central midfield. Losing Aaron Ramsey on a free transfer to, to Juventus is a big, big hole to fill. But I do think Danny can be the guy to do it. But it does seem, and anybody that was listening last week would have heard me almost in tears ranting about the structural issues at Arsenal. And I think if that is genuinely the case, that hasn't been confirmed, it's just reports at this stage. But if Arsenal are making a loan deal with a third of their transfer budget spent on it without an option to buy, it does seem bizarre. I mean, that Denis Suarez move last year, which we are led to believe was the reason that Sven Mittlenstadt decided to walk away from the club. So marginalised was he by a process that he was specifically brought on to help strengthen. The other move that Arsenal have made this, <laughs> this month uh, this week, sorry, should I say, is the signing of William Saliba, Saliba from uh, from Saint Etienne, the young yep. defender, 18 years old. Arsenal agreed to spend 27 million pounds on him, and then they've loaned him back for the year. Now, I listen. I don't know the the ins and outs of how that club is run, but when you are on a shoestring budget and you desperately, desperately need a new centre half. Why are you spending 27 million quid, so two-thirds of your budget, on a player that you're not going to be able to use for a, for a whole season? It seems bizarre. It does seem bizarre. It's not often you see deals like that done these days, especially when you're spending close to 30 million. Of course, no longer are you in control of that young man's, I guess, ascent and, and his development over the course of the next 12 months. You need only look at uh, Naby Keita. How, yes. Na how Naby Keita not only struggled in that year that he remained at Leipzig having uh, the deal being agreed to move to Liverpool, but how he didn't quite hit the ground running. I don't know if it's a, an expectation thing because you've waited so long for something to yeah. happen. I just think it's a bit of a concern. And this, this kid's only going to be 19 when he turns up at Arsenal. Call me naive, but I'm not sure how much of a difference you're going to get between an 18 and a 19-year-old that's going to be kind of in a tough situation in league. Uh, bring him to the club get him taught the way you want him to be taught, bring him under your wing, to gradually filter him into the side, and then get the benefits out of him towards the back end of the season. It's such a bizarre move. It certainly is. Let us know your thoughts on that front as well. Arsenal then, a player 
that they've loaned and spent when you include his wages, £15 million pounds on. They are about to spend £72 million, and I'm sure many Arsenal fans out there, and rightly so as well, excited at the potential arrival of Nicolas Pepe, a man that scored 23 goals over in France last year. Keep your thoughts coming in to us. We are keeping an eye on the F1. When we come back, we will put you bang into the picture of what is going on in qualifying. What are we? We are 20, 18 minutes into qualifying. An update on the way. Stay tuned. This is The Grill, live from Kicker's Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. 20 past five, Carl Van Roosevelt alongside myself, Chris McCarty, and Matthew Fortune this afternoon. We are trained on the screens here at Kicker's Sports Bar, and there's good reason for that, because it is qualifying for the German Grand Prix. It's not been a good day thus far for Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, what I can tell you is that Vettel is out of qualifying. Absolute nightmare for him, Chris McCarty. And he will basically start at the back of the grid. There's nothing wrong with the Ferrari. I'm trying to figure out exactly what the problem was, but they weren't able to get Vettel out. And as I say, he has not posted a time this afternoon. What I can tell you is for his teammate, things have been going very well. He has been quickest in the first part of qualifying. Leclerc leads, Max Verstappen second in the Red Bull. Lewis Hamilton is now up to third place. Then we've got Kimi Reckon of Alfa Romeo, Valeteri Burtas in fifth position with the Mercedes, and Daniel Ricciardo in the Renault in sixth. What I can tell you is I'm just waiting for the qualifying to finish of the other five that will drop out. But what I can tell you is Sebastian Vettel will definitely be dropping out. And the minute this session finishes, I'll update you on the other four cars that will be dropping out of Q1 qualifying. Sebastian Vettel, it is fair to say that it has been a year to forget thus far for the four-time F1 champion. And just thinking about, I'm thinking out loud here, boys, as well, is there a sportsman or woman right now facing more questions than Sebastian Vettel? Given the fact that what Lewis Hamilton has won seven, I think, of the ten races thus far, he won their little battle last year. They're four apiece. It was Lewis Hamilton who would go on and win and clinch his fifth drivers' championship title. And I'm, honestly, and I'm, I'm putting it out there. Let me know if you can think of another one. The question marks surrounding Vettel right now. He might not be in F1 next year. The question marks surrounding Serena Williams to win a 24th title. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> no, maybe. but I mean, that's two, that's two totally different circumstances. And Chris, I've got to agree with you. And I'll tell you what the big problem facing Sebastian Vettel at the moment is that this youngster, 21-year-old Charles Leclerc has come. And I think either if they keep Vettel in Ferrari team, will he stay the number one driver? I don't uh, believe no, he will. No, I don't either. And, and I think that is why I think a parting of ways is inevitable between Sebastian Vettel and the Scuderia of Ferrari. There is no doubt in my mind Charles Leclerc will be a future world champion. I actually think it's bubbling up nicely. Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. Absolutely agree. There is a rivalry there, and I'm not just putting that down to their age. Lando Norris, I've been impressed with what he's done in the McLaren as well. He, the he's, young not, he's not made the second qualifying, by the way. But has yeah. he not? But yeah, he has, he has been very spectacular this season. In, a, in, a, in what is a, a struggling car. But Leclerc Absolutely. and Verstappen, there is no doubt there is a budding little rivalry that I think it can, can, I guess, add a little bit of energy to F1. Where, where do you see Vettel going if he leaves Ferrari? Some suggestions. Speaking to Damo Reid, who, of course, is the main comms man for uh, NBC Action. Of course, NBC Action have the rights to F1 this year. According to Damo, one or two speculating he might move on from F1, Sebastian Vettel. He might go and seek his, uh, I guess, his kind of adrenaline-fueled 
fun elsewhere. So that's a, a big question for you. There's no doubt in my mind that he is a wonderful driver, but he's facing big question marks right now is Sebastian Vettel because it's continuously going wrong for him. And going back to your point, Charles Leclerc is outperforming him. And when that happens very quickly, Ferrari are not standing on ceremony. It is Charles Leclerc is our main man and Seb, you have to settle for being number two. Yeah, well, I mean, you saw what happened to Daniel Ricciardo this season, or last season, should yeah. I say, with uh, with Red Bull. It came as a, as a big, big surprise to everybody. But you can't argue with Christian Horner. I think it was the right decision that he made. Because, as you say, Max Verstappen is, is, is now flourishing. And, you know, we forget so quickly in sport, Sebastian Vettel is a four-time world, world yes. champion. But, Chris, to me, he never, ever seemed to have settled at Ferrari. When he came in hot from Red Bull, they were struggling with the car. Now the car seems to be better. He seems to be struggling with his form. Things are just not going his way. And as you said, it will be interesting to see. But I tend to agree with you. I think come next season, you might not see Sebastian Vettel in F1. You've had time to think, Matthew. You've had the thinking cap on. Is there a sportsman or woman right now, currently, facing more questions? Maybe Rory, given what he did well, at he, the Open. But he, 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 he's he not won, won since 2014. He's not won no, a major. He won the Canadian Open this Not won a major. A major, yeah. yeah 2014, yeah, yeah. I think, was the last time. Rory would have been the name I would have thrown into the hat, just because I think purely on the basis of expectation v reality, I think, in what he's actually managed to deliver from the precocious talent that he was everybody knew him he transcended golf realistically didn't he i mean my parents you know nothing about many sports uh, <laughs> all due respect to both my parents um he even knew the name they were expecting things he signs a 150 million pound contract with nike when he's what 20 21 22 yeah. years of age and he's just never quite main i know golf is different because the the names on the trophies change so frequently, but he's never had a period of dominance. And I think for that reason, especially then, this was his big chance, the Open, where it was, what it meant to him, the form he was trying to carry into it. And to fail, not just fall a little bit short, but to fail in quite spectacular fashion, I think that will really get some home truths asked of him. I think you're being a bit hard on Rory, in all honesty. I he's mean, a good, I mean, uh, you're I mean, right. He's, he's, he's won four majors, and if you talk about golf as a sport, who else has dominated golf besides Tiger Woods? Mm. We all expected Jordan Spieth. You remember when Spieth came onto yeah. the scene? I think he won three majors three. Uh, very, very quickly. But even Jordan Spieth has fallen off the boat now. So to me, to find somebody that dominates, that dominates golf, yes, Brooks Kupke is the man at the moment now. How long will he go for? To me, it's only truly been Tiger Woods that has been able to take that sport by the scruff of the neck yeah. and dominate but it. But come on now, Carl. Let's be honest, though. When we are being told that Rory McIlroy, and not just told, we see it with our own eyes, he is... You speak to many people will tell you, tee to green, he is probably the best golfer out there. He's had his struggles with his putter. That being said, a once-in-a-generation talent like him, he hasn't won a major since 2014. Questions, serious questions still need to be asked of him, though, right? Yeah, I think, in, in all honesty, I think Rory's also gone about a little bit the wrong way in the You've sense... you said it. It's it, Caddy, Hardy Ca Diamond. I don't want to blame Hardy Diamond. No, but, but he had the equipment change. He had the equipment change. I think pulling out of the Olympics wasn't necessarily the, the smartest thing to do from a public image perspective. So, to me, Rory has definitely got the talent. I just feel that managing his career, there's one or two steps I think he should have done differently to what he hasn't done. There might be reasons for why he's done it. Uh, but, but I think, Chris, to... to, to your point to say he's under-delivered, under I think he's a little bit harsh. I mean, four majors is still a lot to win in golf. Every year he's won a tournament. So He's had a wonderful year, just not in the majors this year. Yeah. I mean, I think you look at his top ten finishes, you're absolutely right. He won the Players' Championship as well, did he not? Exactly. Before, uh, before the Masters that was earlier this year. He was coming into form. But again, you are judged 
especially when we, you are as good as Rory is, we tell our listeners that he's good, we know he's good. When you set the bar that high, your yardstick is the majors, and he, for the last five years, has failed. But, but then I got a question. Sorry, Matt. Then I got a question for you, Dustin Johnson. Don't you think he's underdelivered then? Massively. He's, he's, I don't think he's, he's as good as Rory McIlroy, though. He's been a world number one yeah. for how many years, consecutive years, that he's been carrying that title. He's won one major. Yeah, one major. Not, not as good as Rory, though. I don't believe in my humble opinion. It's only my opinion. I think Rory McIlroy, you're absolutely right to point out he's won four. He's won four quickly, and for whatever reasons, and only Rory will know, and of course, many of those reasons are competitors. You play golf against other individuals, but there is no doubt, and it comes back to your point you made about Gareth Bale, Matthew, Rory McIlroy smacks of a, of a man who is kind of comfortable with things. Maybe, just maybe, golf is not where it once was in his life. He's got his, his new wife, who I think they've been married now 12 months. He's moved to the States. He's got other interests besides golf that perhaps are hindering him from going on and winning five, six, seven, eight majors. I think it's the expectation, though, that it was. You know, it's Dustin Johnson, it wasn't... And maybe because I'm British, I grew up in England, obviously, and you, 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 your sports stars are therefore a lot closer to your heart. But I think because the expectation of it, and because actually when I think of Rory McIlroy, and again, golf, listen, golf isn't my number one sport by any stretch, but when I think of Rory McIlroy, what I actually think of is the failure at Augusta on that final day in 2011. What I now will think of is the failure on that first day at his home course. And I think that's why maybe it sits a little bit more uncomfortably because the nature, because you, when someone comes through like Lewis Hamilton, anyone who has followed Lewis Hamilton will remember the kid that did uh, remote control racing in the Blue Peter Garden and could not take his eyes off the car. And he was so driven on it and he became the absolute pinup boy for British sport. And he has never failed in the way that someone like Roy McIlroy, I know that it's apples and oranges, the two different sports, but you expect perfection from your sportsmen that you're told are going to be the greatest yeah. of their generation, and Rory hasn't been perfect. Sebastian Vettel then, Rory McIlroy, I guess another man who is coming under the microscope. Not so, and, I, and I'll stick by this, I actually think Sebastian Vettel, maybe Rory, just because of his major, you're absolutely right, Carl, to point out, he still had a successful year out with the majors. Sebastian Vettel is facing the most questions of any top sportsman or woman right now, Anthony Joshua. Oh, yeah, I was going to say it's the other Joshua, one. Absolutely. It's funny, AJ, actually, I thought you guys, you had the, uh, the three boxers on this week on the show, I thought it was fascinating. We were talking about the damage, really, that Floyd Mayweather has yeah. done and you said it perfectly, the O has got to go for most people and it shouldn't be quite as debilitating to their career prospects as it has proven to be for certain fighters and certainly how the feeling towards Anthony Joshua has been now. Even I said it earlier, even I'm guilty of suggesting that Dillian White is more marketable right now in the matchroom stable of heavyweights than Anthony Joshua. That is, of course, a ludicrous thing to say. AJ had one bad night, he got caught with one sweet punch. To be fair to him, that big punch would have put a lot of people down and the problem with AJ when you look at great, great heavyweights that have lost fights, you look at Lennox Lewis yes. being knocked out by Hasim Rackman. That was one Hail Mary punch that absolutely took his head off. AJ, had he gone down with that sweet shot behind his ear in the third round, I don't think we would be thinking quite as negatively as we are about him now because not only did he lose that third round and get put down, he then got beat up for four, he got beat up for five, he got beat up for six, and then he was put on his backside again in seven, so it really didn't look good for him, and a lot of those fallibilities of, and he is, he's not a faultless fighter, make no mistake, he struggles against small guys, he struggled against Takam, 
famously a lot smaller than him it's very very awkward and that's why I think because it was such an ugly watch it wasn't just a coy he's got him there that's yeah. a heck of a punch it was God, is this guy actually as good as we thought he was so he's got a lot of a lot to think about AJ we largely expect the rematch to be announced pretty soon against Andy Ruiz Jr. We're expecting Cardiff. I think that's a bit ambitious. I think what AJ needs to do is continue on his career trajectory. Go back to the States, lay down a statement, and then start moving forward. If you go back to where you're comfortable, he's not going to garner the respect, and then he'll have even more questions about yeah, him. No doubt about it. Joshua McElroy Vettel. If you want to add any names into the conversation, I, I, I guess, listen, their problems pale into insignificance when faced up against Israel Folau. Enough said on that, man. Stay with us. Half past five, take the round. We're into the final half hour. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Just gone 25 to 6. You are listening to The Grill, as you have been, at least I hope, since 3 o'clock this afternoon. We have been here at Kicker Sports Bar. It is our summer home, of course, located down here at Dubai Sports City. I'm alongside Matthew Fortune and Carl van Roosevelt. Qualifying ongoing for the German Grand Prix. It is round 11. Hockenheim is the destination. Lewis Hamilton? Yeah, good news for Lewis Hamilton. He is at the top of qualifying in Q2. He has set the fastest time. He's followed by Ferrari's Charles Leclerc in second. Valtteri Bottas is in third position. Carlos Sainz from McLaren. What a fantastic result for him. He's in fourth. And Lance Stroll, out of all people, I was just criticizing him last week. He's proved me wrong. He's up to fifth in a racing point. Max Verstappen is in trouble at the moment. It looks like he might start in 15th. Uh, Chris McCarty as he has lost power and yet to post the time. Seven minutes for Verstappen to get out of there. So, uh, as I said, Max Verstappen will have to come out now. He's in a, he's in a little bit of trouble to post the time to avoid uh, starting in 15th position. But what I can tell you is it's Lewis Hamilton on home soil for the Mercedes that's leading Q2, followed by Charles Leclerc with Mercedes's Valtteri Bottas in third position. Matt is keeping an eye on the Tour de France. It is stage number 20, penultimate day of this absorbing 2019 edition. Give us an update, Mark. Yeah, Chris, we're about 25 kilometres from the end, but it is a very, very uphill 25 kilometres facing the guys. They're heading up to the ski resort of Val Turen. At the moment, we've got a breakaway of five. No one troubling the GC contenders or any of the jerseys in that little group. There's then a group of 12, about 30 seconds behind that five, again, containing none of the people that we really want to be keeping an eye on for the rest of the day. And the peloton are a further, let's say, one minute and 20 back. So it's two-minute gap between the front and the peloton, which can contains Egan Bernal, the rest of Team Ineos, Julian Alaphilippe and the other contenders for GC status. It's going to be a brilliant, brilliant last couple of hours. I am so excited by this. It is uphill. While it may look as if Bernal holds all the cards, he's got a strong team around him. But let's not forget, Luke Rowe is missing from that yeah. team earlier this week. Bit of an unsavoury incident it was. A bit of pushing and kicking between two riders. It was... Martin. Yes, Martin, the other guy. Both kicked out of the tour on Wednesday, I believe. So Team Ineos are not over the line yet. I think it is going to be great. No, nobody knows what's going to happen on the climb. Alaphilippe has proven himself more than capable of breaking away over the last course of these three weeks. But Bernal, of course, fresh from yesterday, because this is his first appearance at the Tour de France. Listen, he is a pedigree, pedigree climber. We don't know how his legs are going to go and hold up because we have got nothing to compare it to. I do expect him to, to see at home with the help of his team nice and comfortable, but they're certainly not taking my eyes off this one. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it for the final 20 minutes or so. Just one or two 
pre-season friendlies to get you up to date with as well. Barcelona victorious over Vissel Kobe, who today confirmed the uh, uh, signing of Thomas Vermalen from Barcelona. Of course, Vissel Kobe, the side that has Andres Iniesta as part of that as well. So David, David Villa now? David Villa yeah. as well. Yeah, signed to so Villa, Iniesta and now Thomas oh, Of course, Vermalen. all Barcelona, yeah. All Barcelona, <laughs> so there's a, a theme there. Manchester City victorious over Yokohama Marinos. They won by three goals to one. Sevilla beating Everton by a goal to nil. Sheffield United have beaten Barnsley for any of you Blades fans. Maybe one or two of them out there, or maybe there's one or two Tykes fans out there <laughs> as well. And it's gone to penalties in the match between PSG and Inter Milan. That was after that match finished one apiece. Of course, Inter Milan now under the stewardship of Antonio Conte. Indeed, talking of uh, this Thomas Van Allen move to Japan, one transfer I did notice this week, and this is something I'd actually quite like to get your thoughts on. Going back to the idea of Gareth Bale maybe falling out of love with football and not needing to to reach the very pinnacle of the game, i.e. Europe's big five leagues. Yeah. I noticed Daniele De Rossi, the one-man club, 18 years at Roma, absolute stalwart of that central midfield. I believe he's the one with the uh, the warning sign of a man kicking someone tattooed on his calf muscle. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. So I think it tells you everything about the type of player he is. He has moved to Boca Juniors yeah, love in it. Buenos Aires. Absolutely brilliant. I don't think this happens enough because, to me, it's one of those things, if somebody said to you, think of the clubs you'd like to play for, sure, obviously I'd love to play for Arsenal, but there's a part of me that wants to go and live and breathe a yeah. football culture like South America. I remember French centre-forward a couple of years ago moved to Mexico, and his name Gignac. is... Gignac. Yes, Gignac. He's still there, Tigres in is Mexico. Is he still there? You still see, there. Those, it's those type of moves, and I think absolutely why not. Daniel De Rossi doesn't want to go and play for another Italian club, absolutely not. Does he want to go and keep on putting the work in at just a, another big club in Europe? No. But go and get that absolute fandom. He's never going to replace the, the feeling he had from fans as he does at Roma. But why not go and do that? I think it's a great move. Yeah, you would think Daniel De Rossi immediately when you say, you've been at one club 18 years, let me guess, he's rocked up in LA or he's rocked up in New York or he's gone Asia bound. No, he's gone to Boca Juniors. And that is one of the real good stories. And it did get me thinking about strange transfers <laughs> over the years. Undoubtedly, I think Bebe. That's just the first one that came into Victoria Guimaraes to Manchester United. A boy, <laughs> a young man who was homeless. I mean, the story's an yeah. incredible one. But to rock up at Manchester United for seven million and quickly it would transpire that he was never a seven million pound footballer, <laughs> in fairness to him. He would be up there. And the one that did catch me off guard, and I still remember it to this day, I remember where I was in actual fact. Javier Mascherano and Carlos Tevez to West Ham. Yeah, that was bonkers when that went through from Corinthians. Yeah, because there was so much talk. It was just after the World Cup, yeah. was it not? And the, both of them had impressed, and there was so much talk about where they were going to go. And then, out I mean, so far out of left field, the pair of them are standing on the Upton Park pitch with Alan Weird. Pardew, Alan if Pardew. I remember rightly. Mascherano, I think the most fascinating thing he did at West Ham was bite Jermaine Defoe. Oh, really? I remember that one. Oh, and then wow. Carlos Tevez, of course, Famously, well, you were talking about the, the Blades earlier. If any Blades fans are listening, they won't want you to talk about Carlos Tevez and the impact he had at West Ham the last time. The last time Sheffield United would have been yeah. in the Premier League, of course, scoring that famous winner at Old Trafford on the yeah. final day of the season. Thanks for that. Speaking of Tevez, actually, and linking everything quite nicely together, who was the last player to Ooh. move to China? Ooh to become the world's most best paid, the world's most best, that's awful, sorry, the best paid player in the world. It was. Carlos Carlos Tevez, Tevez, yeah. Yeah. From Boca Juniors to Shanghai Shenua it was. It was. 2007, I was, I was looking this up earlier, so it's a little bit of a warning sign. Oh, 2007. 2017, no. sorry, 2017. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> that was a long time ago. But then you got dropped. 
He did because he got dropped he, he from ended, the starting lineup. He ended up only playing 20 times for the club, scoring four goals. I'm going to give you a quote that probably didn't endear him <laughs> to the locals all that much. I mean, Carlos Tevez, I remember him going on strike at Manchester City, of course. He was, he's never been one to honour his contracts too well. This is Carlos Tevez as he was leaving the Chinese Super League. Chinese footballers are not naturally as gifted as South Americans or Europeans. Like players who learned to play football when they were kids, they're not good. Even in 50 years, they still won't be able to compete. <laughs> oh, Carlos, I mean, Carlos, thank, thank Carlos. You, thank you very much from the 450,000 a week there. Absolutely of, of nuts. Yeah, there was, of course, there was big problems with him there. And he, his manager, oh, that's a quiz question for you, Chris. I'm sure you'll know it. The manager at the time at Shanghai Oh, Shinua. who would that have been? Was it Gus Poyet? It was Gus Poyet. Yeah. Anything this man doesn't know. He said at the time, he said he'd struggled badly. I think, I think for a lot of people moving to China, I've never been. Of course, it's culturally, it's very, very yeah. different. Even things like food, language they're so much harder because it is just so very different to Europe to South America of course where Spanish could be filtered in but they're really really difficult Tevez struggled he, he, he ballooned in weight I think while the money obviously on offer and we come back to the bail thing is is great it's such a lot to try and set yourself into yeah. and with a young family as well Gareth Bale will be interesting I, I still and I have said the whole way through this Gareth Bale saga I would still be surprised to see a move to China. The fact that I woke up this morning to the news that a deal is edging closer, surprising to say the least, each to their own and all. But Carlos Tevez, yeah, weird transfers, strange transfers. Let's put that one out Ooh. on 4001. I've got one. Come on, Arsenal then. signing Kim Kallstrom when he, had oh, a yes. when he was already injured. The one piece of business we did in January. In fact, I believe he got injured on the beach in Abu Dhabi. Kim Karlstrom. Yeah. Oh my goodness, what a player he was in the old school championship Absolutely. manager. We did score a penalty for Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final. I think was about the most interesting thing he did for us. I love the time. how niche that is. <laughs> Kim Karlstrom to Arsenal. If you've got a better transfer than that, get it in on 4001. F1 continues. We're keeping an eye on it. Lewis Hamilton still out in pole. Chris, what I can tell you is he's adding pole position, followed by Charles Leclerc from Ferrari and Paul Gasly in the Red Bull. Good news is Max Verstappen has made it down to the final 10 for qualifying. He's finally got the Red Bull going again. And as I said, he will be in that top 10 for the final qualifying session in the German Grand Prix. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. We will have a result by the end of this show. Tour de France, we won't have a result for the from the Tour de France. We're expecting this to be wrapped up. What time roughly? A couple, of hours, a couple of hours still to go, I think, Chris. They're cycling up an 8% gradient up to the top of a ski resort. It may only have about 23 kilometers to go, but it is going to take them a while to get up there. Just want to give you a quick update. We often talk about we, the fans, we always miss out, or at least it seems that the sport is getting ever more expensive. Lovely little story out of La Liga that's broken in the past hour or so because the Royal Spanish Football Federation has ruled that La Liga games cannot be played on Fridays and Mondays without its approval. Now, the first three rounds of matches for the 2019-20 season had already been scheduled by La Liga with Bilbao hosting champions Barcelona in the season opener on Friday, August the 16th. However, the competition's judge has now rescheduled those fixtures. Spanish football fans do not want games on these days. The Royal Spanish Football Federation said, especially on Mondays, it is very difficult for fans to enjoy games. This comes in the wake of uh, Alaves fans uh, back in February holding a mock funeral during their La Liga win over Levante in protest at the match being switched to Monday night for live TV coverage. So well done to the Spanish Football Authority. Absolutely brilliant. It's glad that fans making a noise can start to have yeah. an impact on those things. I feel sorry. You hear stories all the time in England. It will be 
it just it's so so basic they'll end up scheduling a Tuesday night game between two cities essentially where the last train leaves 15 minutes before the game finishes it's absolutely insane there's just not any consideration for the fans so the fact that the Alaves fans was it you said Chris holding this mock funeral have actually managed to make an impact and have the league reverse some of those decisions is great it certainly is there's no doubt about that and, and absolutely fan power can have a big say uh, there is a bit of a racket down here because you boys Carl it's your fellow South Africans celebrating a draw with the All Blacks uh, I'm spotting a few Aussie jerseys there too Chris but yeah <laughs> as you said fantastic day for South Africa and we don't often get excited about a draw but a draw in New Zealand is something to shout about and it's this youngster Herschel Giantchies what a week he has been having made his Springbok debut last weekend against Australia scoring two tries in that fixture and then today in the 79th minute of the test match scoring the winning try to draw with the All Blacks at the Westpac Stadium in New Zealand New Zealand 16 South Africa 16 and as I say South Africa currently at the top of the table in the rugby championship later on this morning Australia took on Argentina um, a lot was expected from the Argentinians, but Australia winning that fixture, 16 points to 10. Did you say the Springbok, they finish against Argies? They finish against Argies. In Argentina or in South Africa? I've got to double check where that fixture will be played, Chris. I hope it's in South Africa for South African supporters. And then, of course, New Zealand will be taking on Australia still in the Rugby Championship. Yeah, the Bledisloe Cup. It will be an absolute thrilling one, no doubt about it. We'll, uh, we'll wrap things up in just a moment. Get your thoughts in. Weird transfers, it's got me thinking. I'll drum up a few more from us in just a moment. You're listening to The Grill, bringing you the biggest sports stories right now. On Dubai I 103.8. Yeah, welcome back into the final 10 minutes of this afternoon's show. A big thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in on this Saturday. Beautiful Saturday that it is. A bit hot outside, which is why you need to come on down to our little location down here, Kickers Sports Bar. All the live sport is on the 15-plus big screens dotted throughout the venue. And no doubting the biggest sport that is currently on those screens, it is Formula One. It's qualifying for the German Grand Prix. We're getting towards the nitty-gritty. As they say, into the shootout for pole position. What I can tell you is the 10 drivers that have qualified Chris Riccardi is Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, Pierre Gasly, Valtteri Bottas, Max Verstappen, Kimi Räikkönen, Carlos Sainz, Nico Hülkenberg, Romain Grosjean and Sergio Perez. These are the 10 guys that will be fighting it out for pole position at the German Grand Prix. It has been Lewis Hamilton that was the quickest in Q1. He was followed by Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari and then Paul Gasly, Pierre Gasly, should I rather say, in the Red Bull. It's all to race for to get onto the number one qualifying position at the German Grand Prix for tomorrow. We should have a result in qualifying before we clock off at six o'clock. Now, a little earlier in the show, we spoke about Spurs. We spoke at length about Arsenal. Manchester United, the boys believe that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be out on his ear before Christmas I believe what about the chasers what about the clubs that are, are in a position to mount serious challenges to the top six the big six if we call them that three clubs spring to mind whenever I talk about this Wolves yeah, for sure, yeah. Leicester City and Everton I'm not so sure about Everton. Wolves and Leicester City are definitely the thing you've got to spot. I think Brendan Rodgers was a great addition yes. to Leicester City. Don't forget what he did with Liverpool. 
besides Klopp, he gave them the next best run. They should have won the competition that year. And also some interesting signings that he's made. And Brendan seems to be that type of manager that can really get the players rallying around him. So I'm expecting big things from, from, from Leicester City. And Wolves, what a season they had, had last, uh, last year. You speak about Manchester United early on. They were the nemesis for United. United could not beat Wolves in last season. And uh, the manager's name escapes me now. But he's done Santos. He has done an absolutely fantastic job with limited Brilliant. resources, limited budget, and I think they will be real contenders for the top six this year, Chris. Wolves in Leicester? Uh, Leicester for me, 100%. I think Leicester are going to knock on the door of the top four, not just the top six. I think in Brendan Rodgers, they've got the best manager to break that mould. He knows what it takes to, to finish in those echelons. He knows what it takes to win big games. I think they've been smart with their business, locking Yuri Tillmans in yeah. for a permanent move. Of course, he was there last year, but with big clubs, or bigger, should I say, more illustrious clubs sniffing around that signature. They did very well to get that done. Ayose Perez, an absolutely s smart piece of business. I'd say so. 30 million quid, if you said that five years ago, he probably would have been laughed out. But in the current market rate, with a player of Premier League experience, essentially replacing Shinji Okazawi as the kind of the second striker to um, to Jamie Vardy but that has got pace 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 going through that team direct running intelligent movement I think they'll be I think they'll be real strong Leicester looking at Wolves I think Nuno mm, Santo what a job he's yeah, done yeah great job Chris uh, absolutely in many respects he isn't talked about more often for big jobs Nuno Santo I think because it's just one season in the top flight that's all it is I think he needs to I think now it's of course it's the, it's the easy throwaway of second season syndrome let's see what happens will he be able to reinvigorate these guys who already massively overachieved last season another smart business from them Raul Jimenez tied of course yeah. now to a permanent deal Leander Dendonka another like smart bit of yeah. business from Anderlecht that's also smart I think they'll do well Wolves I don't think they'll probably improve much on last season but I do think they'll still do well uh, Dave's been in touch lovely to hear from you Dave we were speaking before the break just about people under pressure no no doubt in my mind Sebastian Vettel I think you've got to be hard pushed to find anyone else who is under that as much a pressure in terms of just question marks about them Rory McIlroy we talked about his record in the majors we talked as well Anthony Joshua needs to bounce back after that shock defeat to Andy Ruiz Jr Dave's been in touch and he's probably right and you both have alluded to it already Ole Gunnar Solskjaer he's putting him in that mix because Manchester United are such an institution there's obviously there's always pressure on all managers of top clubs but all he needs to get it right and needs to get it right quickly at the start of the season but then again that's the same for your Frank Lampards that's the same for your Pochettinos your Guardiolos your Klopps they're all under pressure to do well yeah I, I, honestly I think being a manager in the Premier League is one of the most yeah. pressurised jobs you probably could get worldwide it doesn't matter what in industry you're in but I think there's even more pressure with a club like 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 Manchester United and uh, I just think Oli was was the was the wrong appointment I think he kind of got lucky when they let Mourinho go he had he had an easy fling of games which I still believe Mourinho would have won those games if he was if he was with the club and then he just ran into big trouble at the end of the season and as I said I, I'm not I'm not expecting big things from him that, to be that, that being said Carl it, it is night and day the mood around the camp this summer compared to last summer. I remember Jose Mourinho day one making excuses, was miserable. That carried on in to the season. Now, I'm not saying for one second smiles on faces and happy camps mean you're going to be successful in the upcoming season, but it does mean, however, that it's a positive environment, and you need a positive environment if you're going to be successful on a football field. Fully agree with you, Chris McCarty, but in all honesty, when you watch Man United play Huddersfield in the last game of the last season, oh. do you think that was a positive environment? No. Do you think that was a happy camp? Not at all. 
and and that that was him new into his job so he has to turn around things tremendously for 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 for, for united first to be competitive and and to bring this so-called happiness back into the camp and i don't i honestly don't believe he's got the ability to do it champions next season for you i know we're very early it's still july and we're already talking about who will be champions next may Liverpool and City, one of those, again. Yeah, one of those, and, and, and I always kind of fancy Pep when it comes to these situations. He's, he's just a manager that's always so well prepared. He's always got a lot of depth in his squad. He always seems to be refreshing the squad. So, yeah, to me, it's a two-horse race, uh, uh, and, and whoever wins it between those two, I don't think it will be any different than this season. For you, Matthew, Liverpool? No, Arsenal, Chris. <laughs> uh, Liverpool. Liverpool, for me, quite comfortably Top as well, four? I would have thought. What, in, uh, Liverpool, Manchester City... Tottenham, Leicester. Yeah, yeah. Le Leicester to finish top four. You're going for it. Yeah, why not? There well, you go. There's a top four shout for you, Carl. Liverpool, City, Spurs, and I kind of fancy Arsenal to get the fourth spot. To be perfectly honest. So Frank Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to fail yet again. To I, I still, as much as I like Frank Frank Lampard, I'm a big big fan of his. I think this job's too early for him. To, to, to me, he should have spent another season with Derby, maybe even another two seasons. But then when the opportunity comes knocking, you yeah, can't you turn can't, down Chelsea, you right? You can't say no. I think it, it's, it stifles your ambition, I think, to say I, no at that point. It's probably the smart thing to do. Carl's absolutely right. I think it's, he has come too early. And I think he probably would have regretted the fact that it was coming early for him. But I think he just couldn't say no. My question is, and I hear what you guys are saying, I don't disagree with you. Frank Lampard, let's say he doesn't make the top six with Chelsea this yeah. year. Has he ruined his career as a manager no no i don't i don't think so if he doesn't make top six obviously whether he's chelsea boss come the 2020 2021 season probably not but frank lampard's name he's done he's got enough goodwill at what he did for derby chelsea good managers have failed at that football club luis felipe scolari being one someone who's gone on to have success elsewhere doesn't ruin you i take the point doesn't help him but no, Frank will be fine because he's still got Chelsea manager on his CV. He's also lost his best player, and not just any best player, one of the Ian best Hazard, players yeah. in the world who contributes in every single facet of the game. He puts in a shift going backwards, Eden Hazard. People often forget that. His workload is incredible, and he, he dives yeah. in with assists. He's the only player looking through that team that's got some general magic potion in his boots that can change a game at the drop of a hat. I think he's a big, big loss. Listen, the signing of Pulisic is great, but this is a Pulisic who was forced out of the Dortmund team by an 18-year-old Englishman last season. Yeah. He hasn't quite kicked on as much as we anticipated a couple of years ago. Good player, absolutely, a 60 million pound player in this market. But you're asking that's some big boots to fill of Eden Hazard's. I really think Chelsea oh, will struggle. Wetting the appetite is what we're doing. The new football season, the new Premier League season kicks off August 9th. The Community Shield is next weekend. I'm conscious of time, boys. Before we wrap up, and again, a big thanks to both Carl and to Matthew for their time this afternoon. A big thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in. Very quickly, Carl, have we got a result in qualifying? It's still ongoing, Chris McCarty. Just over two minutes left. What I can tell you is it is Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes-Benz that he's currently leading. He's followed by Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas. But as I say, about two minutes left of final qualifying for the German Grand Prix. Top man, thanks, Carl. Thanks for your time today. Have a wonderful week, Chris McCarty. Good working with you again, yeah, sir. Yeah, always a pleasure. Matthew Fortune, Tour de France. You have been, as I say, a kid at Christmas all <laughs> over the past three weeks at the Tour de France. We are into the penultimate stage. How long to go? We are. We're into the penultimate, well, the penultimate, the ultimate 14 kilometres of the last big climb, and it is hotting up. Let me tell you, 
that Team Ineos, of course, holder of the yellow jersey, Egan Bernal, have lost one of their team, has dropped off the back of the peloton. That means the only Ineos members in the peloton at the moment are Bernal, Thomas, who is second in the general classification, and Woot Poles, the ultimate team man. But that is not a strong enough team. Someone in the, uh, in the runner that I am reading has asked this question. I wish I'd thought of it earlier. Do teams ever want to match up with each other at this stage of the race? Because let's not forget, Ineos are not a popular team. No. Team Sky, they've dominated. True. Could there be teams just working together to try and force the issue here? I am going straight in front of that TV. Chris. Indeed, I thought that would be the case. Right then, that's it from us. Big thanks to Carl. Big thanks, Matthew. Cheers for that, pal. Thank you, Chris. Big thanks to Benji. Big thanks to all the team as well for keeping us on the airwaves down here at Kicker Sports Bar. That is it for another Saturday. We are back on your airwaves next Saturday from three o'clock. I, however, I've got the day job. Tomorrow I'm back from five o'clock, off script, on your airwaves to buy one of 3.8 from all of us down here at Kickers. Good night. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.